week. Well, we just wrapped up a crazy week of Canadian soccer action between World Cup qualifying and Olympic qualifying. And that leaves us with a lot to think about and talk about on this week's edition of Waking the Red Weekly presented by Footy Talks. My name is Mitchell Tierney, and today on the show, we'll discuss everything from how Canada played to the channel they played on and everything in between. Our guest this week joining us in about 15 minutes or less is Gavin Day from Newspapers on Seats podcast, as well as one of the most well-traveled journalists within Canadian and CONCACAF circles. He'll take us inside Canada camps and plenty of other stuff from around the region and all its craziness that it is and that we know and I don't know if we love it. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that anyway. <laughs> CONCACAF <laughs> chaos. But uh, first thing, joined, of course, by Michael Singh. But maybe the real headline this week, Mr. Jeffrey P. Nesker, his beautiful new Toronto FC kit. Jeff, now that you have the kit on, how does it feel? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the full review? You can give us yeah, you're one of the first people and give us a full oh, review. Oh, man, I'm going to – again, we got a kit episode coming up. But I will say this. Uh, in terms of uh, fit and finish for the authentic – Treat it and buy it like you would the uh, the championship uh, hoop kit. It's almost the exact same fit. So feel happy sizing up one and uh, confident in your purchase. If I can impart any advice to the TFC faithful, it is that. Be happy with uh, a size up and you'll be fine. Ah, there you go. That, that's some useful <laughs> advice. Jeffrey, I mean, you were chatting a little bit before the show and you're saying that the, the sizes of the kits, they change year to year. The fit of the kit it, changes. Like it can be year. frustrating. Yeah. Depending on the material, especially in authentic, uh, it can be a bit of a horror show. Um, but, you know, that's just the way the cookie crumbles. The templates are always <laughs> so different. I mean, generally the athletic cut is tapered, but, uh, uh, you know, sometimes the material is thicker than other times, and sometimes the the cut of the shoulders and that sort of thing. So, yeah, yeah. You're, you're receiving. Some Thanks, Ryan. Comments. There you go. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Ryan telling Jeff that he's looking sharp, and he doesn't get that too often. So, whenever, whenever he can, he'll take it. <laughs> early and often, early and often, just like mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. men's national team last night against the Cayman Islands, big win in World Cup qualifying, record-setting win, eleven uh, nil. They also won 5-1 against Bermuda earlier on. A pretty, you know, two pretty comprehensive wins. I think there was maybe one moment in the entire entirety of those two 90 minutes that I was nervous, and that's when Borean dropped a ball <laughs> essentially into his own net, which wasn't great. But, I mean, look, I don't know how much you can take out of this other than good to get some new guys integrated, a bunch of first-time scorers including Toronto FC's Richie Larea and mm-hmm. I guess essentially job done from, from the two games here. Yeah. More, more than that. More than that. <laughs> well, fair like, enough, fair at enough. what point last night did you guys like tune out and real and like realize that this game was, was finished over? Because for me, like it was about midway through that second half. Where I was like, okay, this is getting really painful now. <laughs> like, usually this is Canada on the other side of these things, so it was sort of nice being on on the like you know the giving end of things. But <sighs> that was almost a little bit tough to watch towards the end, wasn't it? Or is that just me? No, not <laughs> at all. Nothing about that game was painful, Mike. I mean, you got to take your joy when you can get it, my friend. And and that was about as joyous an occasion. Damn. They were like they were like I, playing a house league side, man. Every time they went up the pitch, it would be a a great scoring chance. And hey, like like I said before, usually it's Canada on the other th- other end of things, so it's a little mm-hmm. bit nicer to be on that side. And I think it's also a testament to how good we we've been saying this Canada team can be. And I think we're this is going to become more common where 
you know, when we do face these weaker sides, it will no longer be a, a CONCACAF match where, you know, sometimes it's a little bit tighter than it should be. I think we're going to start seeing a lot more blowouts because Canada has the offensive firepower. And, you know, it doesn't matter who was starting, who was on the pitch. They made nine subs for this match. The depth of the squad is, is surreal. And, hey, that, that's a positive result for Canada. I was Jeff on this, though. Yeah, I enjoyed. I, well, Jeff and I were on a Zoom call during this, but I enjoyed any anytime I can watch a Canadian men's national team match where it's ninety minutes and I have zero stress. I mean, that that's a dream right there. And there was absolutely no stress yesterday, so I, I enjoyed that from minute one to minute ninety. Yeah, I'm I'm remiss to get into too much uh, uh, of this because I have it on rather good authority that Mr. Gavin Day is going to come in and throw a wet blanket over all of our enthusiasm <laughs> for for beating minnows. So. Uh, you know, maybe get it out right now. That was fabulous. It was absolutely fabulous. We felt like world beaters, uh, you know, watching superstar soccer uh, aficionado Alfonso Davies just absolutely clown an entire team was very, very satisfying. Uh, you know, I think everybody got to display in the same way that I thought uh, the Olympic team was was a lesser entity due to the fact that everybody was trying to play hero and dribble through um, the entire Mexico side. Uh, we saw the opposite for this one. Everybody was playing hero and were showing off their best tricks. You know, it was oh. it was kind of like a playing FIFA Street a little bit and <laughs> and just dominating. It was it was it was real nice. Um, Since you brought up that Olympic team, Jeff, I have a mm-hmm. there's there's somebody who tweeted at the Wake in the Red account. I'm not. I'm sorry, I don't know the username right now, but he posted a okay. question. Yes. Since Canada sort of knew that they were going to go into these games and dominate these teams. Why didn't they split up the squad so that some of their players, that stronger players, would be on this, the U23 team and some of their players would be on the World Cup team? Uh, do you guys have an answer to any of that? I would, well, I would suggest that it's, that it's pandemic shenanigans, just who was available, whose club team said yes, filling out the roster, uh, maybe some internal drama between uh, Biello and, uh, and Herdman about who each of them get. Um, you know, Biello's not an assistant coach of, of no reputation. He has been a head coach before. So I would assume that, you know, uh, egos come into play and he's like, John, you can't leave me with a bunch of jobbers. I've got, you know, even though the, the odds are stacked against us, I've got a reputation I need to uphold. So I, I, I feel like it was a, 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 a dialogue, you know, between all, all respects. Absolutely. Yeah. Look, they obviously super prioritize world cup qualifying. And I think they're, they're right for that. I mean, who knows if it comes down to goal difference? Shuttersworth, my good buddy Tag, will bring that up in the comments. Mm. Um, and Canada certainly has that in spades from the first couple of games. That's that's for sure. But I, I mean, yeah, there's so many things to factor in here. Um, one, Gavin's here, and because I'm playing producer today, maybe we should we should just bring him on early so that I'm Wait, not sorry, my Jeff, finger- hold on, Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so again, well, one, the, the club situation right like we have uh it's not fifa mandated tournament so you know even guys like corbiano who knows what herdman was telling him behind the scenes to get him to commit to canada maybe he was contingent on him playing with the first team and he obviously showed he's up to snuff at, at least against the, these these calibers of teams but i mean he, he I, I don't think any of us think it will be long before he's you know fully capable of playing first team men's soccer considering what he showed Easily. in these matches so Easily. yeah so I, I just think it came down to timing i mean guys like cornelius i think if you have a full if you don't have the olympic qualifying he's 
with the men's team. So there was maybe a couple of concessions made, but I think overall um, between the Toronto FC COVID situation and the world cup qualifying, I think it was that that's why maybe, you know, the, the men's national team just, just won, won every tie essentially. And, and that makes mm-hmm. sense. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also Cornelius got to wear the armband, so that must have been pretty attractive to him. Right? That, that's that's what I was wondering too, right? Mm-hmm. Is, is could you have a few more of those players step up and play bigger roles for that U twenty three team? But as Mitch pointed out, like in this tag tag points out, goal differential is huge for this team, and World Cup mm-hmm. obviously is more important than Olympic qualifying. And just to have that camaraderie of of these guys spend the whole camp together, because you know it's not very often they get to come together. So the yeah. fact that they can spend the whole camp together, train, work on their chemistry, whatnot, even off-field chemistry, I think that could go a long way towards, you know, further pushing their qualifying. Yeah, and and my dopamine hit wasn't lessened by the by the oversellies like it like it was uh, when the U.S. Uh, women's team uh, uh, took it to who was it? Uh, uh, South Korea was it? I can't remember. Thailand, I want to say Thailand. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that like as as much as goal differential also mattered there, it got disgusting after a while. I didn't have that that issue. It could be that I like this team and I don't care enough about the the women's uh, American team, but. There we go. Anyway, uh, we got Gavin here, and I got to yeah. I got to flex can my I, my. Hmm? Can I put it out there? Is Alfonso Davies okay? He took like a heck of a headbutt from Lucas Cavallini <laughs> after he scored his hat yeah, trick. Yeah, like, yeah. what the heck was that? But no, we can definitely we can definitely put right. Gavin on. All right, here we go. There he is. Sorry, I I had to rush it because my finger's been hovering over the ad button, and, and I don't. It's been a while since I produced this thing while I've been in it, so. <laughs> Crisis yeah, Gavin, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, thanks. Thank you. Gavin. Always glad to, to chat. Yeah, it's been a while. How's everybody? Great, Gavin. Fantastic. I, I, mean, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think we've had the pleasure yet, but thank you so much for joining us. I'm yeah, really no, thanks for having us. me. I always, you know, it's been a while since I've I've really been in been back in the game. So it's nice to always chat uh, chat about what's going on in this sort of this sort of part of the world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, joined by of course Gavin Day, host of Newspaper on Seats podcast, um, as well as all things CONCACAF and and Canadian soccer. So much experience. And because I know we'll get here, Gavin, um, you always tell me, and it's a great point, don't get too high on this team until they win games down in Central America. That's really what it's going to come down to over the next couple of years if if they can do that it's not going to get much easier for Canada than it is these past two games. Is it? I mean, no crowds they are playing in Florida. It's not particularly hot right now. It's about as easy as you can expect, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you just hit the nail on the head there. It's always going to come down to road form against better teams. All due respect to the opponents they just played, but anything other than large wins would have been, you know, a cause for concern. These were supposed to be the games where you're like in rookie mode in FIFA, running up the score, looking very good at the same time. But at the same time, you're playing, you know, Alfonso Davies, Bayern Munich against, you know, a guy with Robin Hood FC. There's always going to be one outcome. All due respect to Robin Hood FC, but, you know, even when it comes down to it, Canada should do well at home. They get results at home. But until such a time that they can prove it, that they can go into Central America, even the Caribbean, the better sides there, in hostile territory, uneven playing surfaces, you know, wonky preparations, fans and opponents throwing whatever they can at them, you know, I, I'm not going to be convinced. So that's what it takes. Even Haiti, should it get that far in June, is going to be an interesting challenge. And that, uh, you know, that's going to be a big first test. And if they can come away with the result 
you know, looking far ahead in Haiti, looking good, then you'll start to think, okay, this is, this is something, but it is the ultimate equalizer going away to those parts of the world. You look at what the U S they failed to do against Trinidad. So, um, you know, it's, it's looking ahead, but that is going to be the, the big decider. Yeah. You kind of touched on it there, Gavin, who are some of those teams that you believe are Canada's biggest competitors in terms of cracking through? Um, I still will say that that San Pedro Sula Honduras is the most intense atmosphere <laughs> I've been in. Um, having done it, I mean, I've been I've been there four times now, and twice were for youth tournaments when there wasn't much of an attendance. Uh, twice were for the men's national team, and when it's forty four thousand fans in the heat of the day, they're there for hours in advance, just getting into a frenzy. There's stuff outside, there's fans inside, and it's just nonstop in the run up to the game. Um, you know, it's, it's bonkers. And, you know, the players have walked in and fans are sort of right above them in the tunnel. I remember uh, at halftime and the last time they were there, Scott Arfield was getting into it with fans and they were shouting something at each other. And it was hilarious. Um, but it is, you know, I compare it to when, when they played at Azteca. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I compare it to when they played at Azteca and it just wasn't, it wasn't the same. And, you know, it wasn't Azteca at its fullest, but um, that, that will remain the gold standard for me in terms of they know what to do. They declare it a national holiday. The back of the newspaper says the president of the country invites you to watch this with, the, you know, they have these viewing parties. They have, um, they know how to do it, you know, and, and fire code be damned. They cram into that stadium and it's, uh, you know, to be on the field in that game, I can only imagine. Um, but yeah, we're, we're in the thick of it. So maybe we have this sort of, you know, unique view where you're in the middle of this firestorm that's that's directed right at the field. Obviously, there is a running track, so there is a bit of separation, but it um, it's unique. And also in the fact that it's they always put it in the smack dab middle of the day when it's, you know, 35 degrees in the shade, never mind the humidity. Take notes, Canada. Take yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah. So, so just let me set the scene. So were you standing on the field to cover this, this particular game or did you no. get in, in somewhere? Yeah, we, there is a, there is a press row, but I mean, you're with any of these stadiums in Central America, the fans are right there and they're, and they're all around you. They're sitting in the aisles. Uh, there's usually some sort of security with, with heavy automatic weaponry right, right nearby. But you know, the day before the day before the game, you get to be on the field and you get to sort of, you know, you look up and, and that's where you just imagine. I mean, the players can explain, you know, better that experience of being on the field in that kind of, you know, cauldron. But for us, uh, you know, we get there early um, just because if you're getting there closer to the game, you're trying to navigate through a maze of humanity that's just crammed in there. So you get there early, you stake out your spot. Um, you know, fortunately, we've been there with a, a crew of, of other journalists before who's gotten there. Um, and then you just hunker down and, and you get ready for hours. You enjoy the last few minutes of, of Wi-Fi before the signal's lost once the stadium is full. Um, and you, know, you, you alert the desk that you're going to likely be filing not directly at full time mm -hmm. because you just can't. Um, right, right. And, then, and then you wait. And then, you know, first when the players walk out, you know, the whistles are directed at them. Like they, they walk out for the sort of walk around before they get changed, before their warm up. Yeah. 
And then that's when, you know, the whistles start and all kinds of stuff is directed at them. I, I, I never noticed that there are the stories of stuff being thrown. I've never noticed anything, but you know, they're also locked far enough away that they're not going to mm. be hit with anything, but um, it's just, you, you sit and you wait, you, you await the door and um, it's just one of those surreal things where you have the time to, get your bearings and it, it throws yeah. you off just as much as the players because it's completely different in north america you're sitting up at the press box everything is comfy you likely get a meal here you down me. yeah exactly <laughs> and then you're um you're sort of halfway down there's people right in front of you uh there's you know there's the vendors in the stands where you can likely buy you know, where you can buy from um but uh yeah i mean the the guys who are in the field are, are the broadcasters so when sportsnet the the infamous 8-1 game there was a rash madani on the field and he you know he has his own stories of of craziness mm -hmm. but um yeah it's one of those things that just appeals to all senses and then once the game starts uh you have to focus on that as best you can even though you want to you know let your mind wander let your eyes wander and just soak it in because it's it's a surreal experience see i imagine you miss all the bags being thrown because at that point is when your empty seats and your sight line disappears because you were lucky enough to have a seven foot five guy sit in front of you. Like every other <laughs> concert and seated event I've ever been to that I arrive early at, I always win the lottery, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah well, I mean, that's it. I mean, the, the stories that I've heard, there was one of the, the kit managers, I think from the eight, I think it was the eight, one game. I sort of am, am lost in my timeline as we have all lost the, this concept of time this last year. Um, and, and he said this story when they were walking in, because there's a big tunnel where the bus drives in. And when they were walking in, I think he said like a chicken carcass was, was thrown at them. I can't, I can't, I cannot verify that claim, but that's what, that's the Why story would that I remember. So, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to make exactly. it sound tough, I don't know. But, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's another world. I mean, other places, uh, I mean, El Salvador was different. The stadium wasn't full, but there's this one stand called Vietnam and it runs along the far side, you know, uh, along one of the sidelines mm. and we don't know why it's called Vietnam. You know, you try to ask nobody is, but they're literally yeah. like, don't we don't, if you're smart, don't, women, go, to don't, don't yeah. go there because guys, get, I mean, I'm not saying there's anything, yeah, 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 yeah. but but there are guys who get grabby and whistle and it's don't just like looking for trouble. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's drunk guys out for a, you know, a time and, and, and exactly they get their moments. So it's like, it's, it's just the whole other world. And then you compare that with the, the relatively, relatively friendly, you know, Caribbean stadiums or, you know, a place like Belize where it's, you know, just completely different, but it's, they're the places that, that know that they are a difference maker and they, they ramp it up and it's, they've, it's they've embraced the chaos. Amazing. Oh, exactly. It's, it's surreal. Yeah. 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 Gavin, I wanted to switch gears here a tiny bit and talk about Olympic qualifying because, I mean, this year is obviously heavily different with COVID-19 and everything and, and how that changed preparations. But even in normal years, you know, for, for Canada coming into these tournaments, um, they always seem like they're starting behind the eight ball a little bit because, I mean, none of these guys have really played together much before. They're coming in from all different corners of the world. Whereas you look at a Mexican team, and I think they played like, it was something like, I don't know, 10 or 11 games together at, at minimum over the past couple of years. And that's even with the pandemic going on. So, you know, you, you having been in camp, what, what is that like? And what's maybe the, the chaos a little bit of trying to get everyone integrated into one side and, and ready for a tournament like this, where you're playing sides that have played, you know, multiple games together already. Yeah. It's sort of the story for any youth tournament where, you know, 
it's always a battle of getting who you can get. And I remember, you, you know, I look back, like there was one U20 tournament where I was still working for the Federation and, you know, Rob Gale was coach at the time and he's trying to get guys like Dylan Carrero in the club won't play ball. And, you know, hmm. there's, there's always this, this drama of, especially when they are not international breaks officially, this one I think mm -hmm. did kind of fall into it, but it's always the, the matter of youth tournaments where, especially the U20s, they're always in the winter when guys are not in season and they have to somehow figure out a way to do that. Olympic qualifying, there's such a little margin of error where, you know, there's no pre-tournament, there's no warm-up, there's no, it's not like a World Cup qualifying campaign where you can sort of get you in. There's a couple of games, you have to be on it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's always so tough when, when you, like you said, they're up against teams who are in season and have the resources to, you know, prepare properly, especially, you know, again, with the pandemic where you're juggling quarantines and, and travel restrictions and, you know, and then clubs these days, not necessarily wanting to play ball, risking their players going over abroad where they can come back with a virus or where they have to quarantine. Mm -hmm. So um, it's never ideal. And it's the reality of the situation where um, you can complain about it and, or you can just sort of, you know, do the best you can. And uh, you sort of, when they announced that squad, you know, of course there were big names who were eligible, who were never going to play for it. And that's, that's the reality. But, you know, uh, when, when Haiti, when Haiti sort of had their own drama pre-tournament where, you know, they had what, 10 guys and then the goalie runs in at halftime. Um, I've, I've yeah. covered, I've covered enough youth tournaments where there's always one of these teams that has some sort of travel odyssey. <laughs> and it's usually where they're like they you know their stuff gets sent to Martinique and they're trying to get some and they connected like three times in random airports, and I think that comes down to the federation more than anything, and okay. like it's 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 the story of every youth tournament I've covered where there is this one team where it's like yeah we just got in yesterday our stuff just showed up now kind of thing, and you know, there's always, you know, I don't know if this is uniquely CONCACAF. I imagine it's, it's elsewhere. You know, we, the stories that I've heard, I'll plug our own, uh, the show that I've had talking to um, uh, Richard Fleming, and he talked about the 2002 Africa cup of nations in Mali and his That's story. A good his, oh, I loved chatting with him. We could have gone on for hours and he's an incredible storyteller, mm -hmm. but you know, you'd have to think that there are probably similar stories there of teams not getting their gear, but it's, for so having so much on the line, like an Olympic berth, it, mm -hmm. it is sort of weird to do it. But yeah, I mean, I, for the the last qualifying campaign, when I was still working with with the organization, there was a pre camp up at Nottawasaga in Alliston, north of here. So they had a, a decent amount of time, all things considered, um, and then they went right into, you know, into the games. But it's the calendar is not their friend uh, ever, especially this time of year, um, and it's it's a matter of yeah, it's just like, it's just a matter of trying to do the best they can. And it didn't, you know, for the last Olympics, it was in the fall. So guys were still relatively in season. This one, it's in January when they're not. And so if ever there was consistency in the, in the calendar, they can sort of say, okay, based on the previous experience, this is what we should do next time. And, mm -hmm. and I'm just not sure what, what could have gone into it this time. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of my, my next question there, Gavin, is the depth that we're seeing, you know, in, in Canada, you know, it's not just on the men's national team. And we can see, we can argue that that probably wasn't their best Olympic team they put forward. But do you think that the men's national team or, or Canada soccer should put more of an emphasis on that U23 team moving forward? Because 
Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the thought that, that cropped into my head is when they had a January camp, um, and I, wasn't it a mix? There was a mix of, mm-hmm. of both of them. And, and the thought that popped into my head was all due respect to the opposition that the men's national team played in or against you likely could have done less of a preparation. I don't, a a January camp with an Olympic team focus Mm -hmm. is I'm just sort of curious as to why that wasn't done because you know, the time was going to be limited with that Olympic team. You know, they had to peak at the moment uh, at at one moment. And so given that there was a little bit more uh, wiggle room with the senior team, I'm not sure why they didn't do that January camp with an Olympic focus. That being said, you know, I don't know how camps are put together. I don't know budgets. I don't know any of that, you know, especially with a year of inactivity. I don't know where the, the budgetary constraints are and that's always something to focus on. But yeah, um, yeah, I mean, it's always given that it's the, the Olympic team for the longest time, it was always kind of uh, given that it's every four years, it's different from the every two years of the U17 and U20. So um, I know they focused on it from what I've sort of read and, and, and were, you know, and, and, and understood that the Olympics was, was a major priority, but um, yeah. And for, you know, if it was up to me, I would have said, okay, let's get them together. January camp, Florida Olympic focused and, and drill into what they're going to be working on. Because again, you hear about the, you know, there was the TFC COVID issue, players coming in and trying to to learn on the fly and so that's you know mm-hmm. if it's up to me give them an extra camp a uh, couple weeks opponents so that they know come march what they're you know a little bit better idea of what they're doing i agree yeah yeah, yeah. You, you've sort of uh answered my question already uh but uh, uh i'm gonna ask it anyway in your opinion is this the deepest and strongest canada pool ever or is it just recency bias? And I'm pretty sure I already know what you're going to say. Well, attacking wise, yes. I mean, that's always been the issue um, mm-hmm. is goal scoring. I, I think defensively, they might have might have been stronger in recent years, but um, you know that is sort of the main concern. We haven't, you know, we saw them against the U.S. last year where they, you know, they leaked in a couple goals. Was that last year? No, it was 2019, wasn't it? Oh boy. What are uh, years? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so attacking wise, it's the most gifted ever. And so you sort of think about, you, you know, you almost w- imagine pairing up some of the strong defenses that Canada's had in years past with the gifted attacking talent they have now. Um, and man, you know, what a team that would be. Yeah. But I'm, yeah. I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm not saying they're weak defensively. It's just, uh, you know, it, it sort of seems to have tipped a little bit more offensively. And that's where, um, you know, going on the road is going to come into play where, you know, you're not going to get such easy, easy goals. And then it's going to come down to defending. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, you're gifted with goals these days and it's, uh, you know, if you're loving attacking soccer on a Canadian team, you're sort of rubbing your eyes a second time <laughs> and being like, oh, they, they put in a couple goals. That'll be interesting. Yeah, you know, a couple. Gold, gold, gold couple. Cup this, yeah, a couple. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they'll have the gold cup this summer, which, you know, will land them one or two games where they'll, they should be able to put in a few again. And, um, but yeah, it's, uh, but you sort of can't help shake, but the feeling that, you know, you'll lose the likes of Davies and David to an injury crisis, God forbid. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some more options and, you know, not, of course, not necessarily at their level, but certainly a step above what there has been in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with that. 
they're all playing for teams at least too. That uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that makes sense. No more unattached. I mean, you look back at how it's been previously, and just by the nature of the player pool, you're bringing in unattached FC, and you have no other choice. And you know, you all, I always remember when when Colin Miller was interim coach, and it's like, you know, what are you trying to get out of this national team camp? And it's like, well, it's a chance for guys to put themselves in the shop window and find a club, and it's just like. It's got to be Ouch. the only national team in the world to be saying that. Of course, now with, with Canada having its own league, there are guys who you know yeah, yeah, have yeah. places to land, which is you know an absolute blessing to the program. But it's just sort of the weirdest time to be covering a program, and there are guys like yeah, looking for a new team to play for, and hopefully this national team experience will do that. And it's just like. Yeah, what is going we get, on? <laughs> we get three square meals, open bar, bed to sleep <laughs> with. But aren't you here for soccer? What What's that all about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're up, Mike. If you got a question, uh, for sure. And Gavin, before this, as I said, like we haven't really crossed paths yet, so I did a little bit of digging, and I went Uh-oh. on. Um, uh, and I've seen, man, you've 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 done it all. <laughs> the, amount, the amount of places that you've you've worked for, you've covered soccer for, you've covered other things for is incredible quite honestly and I, my question is to if you have any advice to a young journalist kind of break into hmm. the industry what would it be just be there um because when i moved here um like i've been freelance largely for the most part since i've been in in toronto and i moved here in 2011 um and um i had I'd freelanced before largely for the canadian press so i'll give all kinds of credit to neil davidson Oh, yeah. uh, for for giving me a shot back in the early days, and I was doing you know some other sports as well. And then when I said you know you know I'll do some soccer away, he was like, yeah, sure, we'll take some stuff. He's not the editor anymore, but when he was, he he gave you know the chances to. I'd worked for him for CP a couple times before that, and so they they knew who I was. But um, like yeah, I've largely been freelance since I moved to Toronto with a couple chunks in between. I'm more in news these days. It's just where the, the chips have fallen, where I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing some radio news anchoring and some TV writing um, just by the nature of the business. But yeah, when I moved here, I just sort of jumped right into it where, you know, I'll give credit to the, the guys at Red Nation Online, who, which, you know, isn't really up and running much these days, but those guys also, you know, supported some of the stuff that I was doing. And so by, by nature of being there, uh, having someone to work for in the early days and then sort of being the only guy to sort of say, I'm going to go to St. Kitts. I'm going to go to St. Lucia and, and, and cobbling. It wasn't making tons of money, but by sort of cobbling together enough work by making contacts, by talking to other journalists, by getting to know them and then saying, this is what I plan to do. Um, you put your work out there and then other people notice it. And so then you have something to, to sort of say, this is what I've done. Mm-hmm. And when you make pitches, you sort of say, this is what I've done in the past. This is what I can do. And so um, by just pra- continually practicing what you're doing and also talking to people who are there, you just, you, you, you bear yourself out there a little bit and you, you know, when, 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 you know, budgets change and times change. And so sometimes you might lose contacts that you're working for uh, and then you readjust. And so it's a lot of working just to get the work. And I, you know, I, I love the travel that I've done uh, in the early days when I was just kind of making ends meet and, and doing enough to cover my costs and a little bit more and, and just sort of trying, you know, there comes a time where there might come a time where you, where you get enough work 
and you try not to take on too much more and bury yourself and just sort of, you know, you lose those contacts. So it's sort of a weird roundabout way of saying um, just sort of, you know, being there, putting a name to a face or a face to a name um, and then just sort of leaving yourself out there by saying, Hey, you know, would you, what are the opportunities that I could get, you know, doing something for you. And so having a couple people to work on and you know, work for in the early days, you know, allowed me to build up a bit of a, pro a portfolio um, and then, you know, sort of getting new contacts from the people I've met and making pitches to them and saying, this is what I have done. This is what I can do. And then, you know, there will be people who sort of say, yeah, let's, let's give this a shot. And then it sort of rolls downhill from there. If, if, if you, you're willing to work hard, um, you know, good things can happen. Yeah. And you, you mentioned like going to CONCACAF, like that was your sort of in, like there's a, there weren't many people who were willing to go down to St. Kitts, St. Lucia. And for any young journalist watching this, like the Canadian Premier League is a big market that still needs to be tackled a lot. You know, women's soccer is this a great market that still needs to be tackled a lot. Mm -hmm. Like there are niches there that need to be filled. Find that niche and run with it. That's, Try not to spread yourself to a little bit too thin mm -hmm. because Hey, there's there are many ways to get your foot in the door. Once you're in the door, then perhaps you can expand. So just building oh. off what you said, I think that's, that's absolutely yeah. There's just you find your niche, um, and yeah, like you said, nobody was doing the travel in the early days, and so I you know go to a few people saying this is what I can do, and then you also you also learn stuff like you know how to travel on the cheap, and I've mm -hmm. you know I've couch surfed before. I've <laughs> you know you know I I've slept in JFK Airport when I had an overnight layover. You know you, you learn a lot about yourself, and it's just you know it's not stuff they really teach, and you sort of have to mm -hmm. learn on the fly. But if you find something that you really enjoy, and you sort of drive that wedge in there to open the door a little bit, you'd be surprised at at what opens up. Yeah, I mean there's in the freelance world, I've worked for you know, a lot of people and they, you know, give a I'll thank a lot of people who sort of said, yeah, let's give this guy a shot. And, mm -hmm. you know, you roll with it from there. It's, it's not going to be a moneymaker, but you will, uh, you'll learn a lot about yourself and then you'll have some pretty awesome experiences along the way. Exactly. Yeah. Before... Really? Oh, sorry. Sorry. Oh. Go ahead. Uh, it just segues into, into my next question, which was, uh, um, you know, in my travels, I found there are a lot of knock-on benefits to being Canadian when when you face, you know, admin issues or logistical problems or just even, you know, uh, casual conversations on the street. Uh, this is a roundabout way of plugging your excellent podcast because I, I really dig it. Um, you know, would you say that there's a truth to that and that being Canadian has, has certainly greased the wheels of some, of some awkward situations in the past? Yeah, I mean... I trying to think about anything. Yeah. For, for those of you, I'll, I'll plug it to newspapers on seats. I talked with Dan Rouse from the score. We just missed travel in the last year. And so it's, us, it's us essentially sitting and having a beer and sharing travel stories that, that soccer has brought us to. And we've also uh, had sitting and having an IPA. You are pretty heavy on the IPA. No, that's I Dan. I like my, I like my, <laughs> um, okay. uh, and yeah, we, you know, and then we have other people who have, you know, travel to other places and it just opens our minds to what's, you know, where other places to go once we're allowed to, to get back out. But um, yeah, I mean, every, everybody likes a Canadian kind of thing. So it was just funny, like in Panama, again, another place where they're sitting right in front of us. And if you watch the Panamanian games, they're famous for their, their, their beer baths when they score. And so <laughs> right before that eight, one game, when Canada lost two nil, uh, in Panama the month before, you know, I, I, for the life of me, I swear people knew that we were back there and aimed it back at us. So the first goal, 
you know, you know, we were sort of caught off guard. The second goal, you know, we were like, oh, here it comes, and we hide our laptop. Yeah. Goggle, goggles <laughs> on. <laughs> exactly. But then after the game, you know, they come back, fans come back and shake our hands. And then they go, you Honduras. And, they're, you know, if you're just listening, they do the throat slash <laughs> And we're like, you know, we'll do the best we can. So it's just, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, pe- people can't help but, you know, but like us. And so even, mm-hmm. even after, after games, during games is a whole other story where, you know, fans in particular are, you know, aware of everything. But then afterwards, you know, everyone, it's, it's hard not to like us. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's certainly certainly an interesting experience, especially going you know going abroad and um, being in a different environment. I'll never forget, you know, people people know I kind of know automatically that we're approachable. When I was working for the CSA uh, and we were in the Czech Republic for that friendly there, um, the one they I think it was another you know two three nil loss. Uh, Peter Czech was in goal for the Czechs. Um, and, and Canada was just, it was in the doldrums at that point. They were in the 100-somethings in the rankings. Did B-Row miss a penalty that game? They missed a penalty. Uh, they had a set piece that led to a shot on goal. Uh, nice. It was, it was, hey, it was actually a really nice set piece. The Czechs stole it and used it the next month against the Dutch. And, and we were all like, <laughs> hey, that's ours. Um, anyway, because um, like, they had their moments. And one of these Czech journalists, he sort of leans over and, you know, casually, you know, gives me an elbow and he points to Canada's ranking. And I'm like, eh. and he's like, like he was, he was like, this is, this is a better than a 120 team kind of thing. Yeah, and he, yeah. he's casual mm-hmm. enough to sort of be like, yeah. And so my, my first ever experience really going away was to Argentina uh, ahead of the 2010 World Cup. And, you know, being in the press box there, being the only, you know, Canadian journalist there, it was like, it was a very makeshift Canadian team. I always love to say, like, they brought back Daniel Imhoff after he had retired and he played this one game and then left. And like, it was, it was outside the window. It wasn't an international break and they did the best they can cobbling together the team. It was like five or six nails, something like that. Um, and play for Argentina that day. Uh, oh God, I, I, get, I, I can tell you that, you know, Adam Straith played for Canada. It was his debut. Um, and, you know, Jamie Peters, I think Guzman was there for Argentina. I could not name their lineup. I was just, you know, I was, how old was I? 24 at the time, you know, just stars in my eyes. Like, I don't know where Donna was coaching. So I mean, it was a whole other world. Uh, I think, you know, I think Messi did get out there. But That's I, really what he was asking. But again, but again, yeah, there's this guy next to me. He's all in a suit, and I'm, you know, I'm in a t-shirt and whatever. And he sort of, he sort of shows me the Canadian lineup. I don't know if this was pregame or during the game, but there was just he was easily, casually enough to just sort of be like, "Is this Canada's best team?" And I'm like, "No, no." <laughs> so there's always like people are always sort of a little more at ease in in chatting with us, and it just makes the whole going abroad you know prospect that much more fun mm-hmm. yeah exactly yeah before we before we let you go here gavin i did want to ask one last question which is about a recent debate on canadian soccer twitter surrounding where the national team games are played that being one soccer um i remember a time when canada games were yourself calling them and you know filming on a camera and <laughs> those were great for for all their own reasons but you know what are your thoughts on on kind of the I guess the debate as to whether these games should be on bigger platforms obviously it's not even a debate I mean you know these games are going to be played where they are mm-hmm. um, 
and your thoughts on, I guess, one soccer in general and the opportunity they provided the national teams. That's that's the name of the game these days is, you know, they're streaming services for everything. I mean, I love watching the Tour de France. It's not on TV anymore. I have to subscribe to a, a streaming service for it. And I'm, you know, and I'm happy to do it. Um, you know, if, if the team's winning, if they get to that last round and are playing the likes of U.S. and Mexico, do not be surprised if they sub-license to, uh, you know, a major network. It's just... Mm-hmm. The audience has to be there. TV is a business. And, you know, your, your TSNs, your sports nets, you know, they run the show. And they want to put on content that's going to get the most audience. And right now, Canada playing the Cayman Islands is not going to attract a lot of viewers. And so, you know, all credit to to the likes of One Soccer for, for existing. That's just the way mm-hmm. it is. Because, well, I mean, yeah, again, you point to, to the last qualifying cycle. It started with... Um, you know, Mad Bull and Maestro in Belize, essentially. <laughs> oh, Actually, man. sorry. Before that, there was there was me and a camera in Dominica. Um, <laughs> you know, straddling, you know, a couple rows in front of the real press box because I was kicked <laughs> out because the radio guys needed it. Um, and there's me doing this and holding a microphone. Uh, that's how it started four years ago. And you know, a little humble brag. I'd like to think that because of that, they need to stream all their all their friendlies now. Um, but. Um, you know, you got a full-on broadcast of a World Cup qualifier. You know, it cost you a couple bucks. Suck it up. Um, yep, that's yep. the way it is. And you know, we always say, we always say, why doesn't this get more coverage? Why doesn't this get more coverage? Every you know national sport organization in Canada would love to have their product on TV, but it doesn't mm. attract the eyeballs outside of World Cup and Olympics. And you know, I'm a huge volleyball guy, but you're likely just going to stream it online. Uh, yeah. You know, we had an Olympic qualifier last year that I did the commentary for before the pandemic hit and it was all streamed online and it was riveting stuff. Um, so yeah, it's just the name of the game. Um, and you know, you look at, you know, why aren't, why isn't there more coverage of the Canadian women's team? Why isn't there more coverage of this? People have to read it. People have to watch it and then it'll drive the odds. It's just the nature of business. And, you know, provided this team keeps moving on, if, you know, (laughs) there was a lot of goodwill built up, that year they lost eight one. From what I heard, it was it was yeah. attracting huge audiences. The Sportsnet eight one happens, and then the moti- the uh, momentum. Yeah, everybody, everybody gets over snake Yeah, yeah. You know, if they qualify for a World Cup, there's going to be an audience for a while. Very well. well there put. you go. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much for joining us today, Gavin. Oh, it's hey, been yeah. appreciated. Yeah, yeah. 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 We'll have to chat sure. about this again. No, absolutely. We'll have you Definitely. back. Yeah, you yeah, so yeah. We, we appreciated all the stories and. Uh, We'll speak to you soon. Sounds good. Yeah, thanks, awesome. Well, yeah, I think we should pick up uh, the discussion from there on the, the whole one soccer thing. So I think there's plenty more points to be made, especially since we found out at halftime of yesterday's game that the CONCACAF Champions League games will be played on one soccer as well. So if you haven't subscribed already, there's another reason for you to do so. Jeff, you Sorry. look like you have a point. Uh, I just, I have a Steven Sandor uh, expressed it pretty eloquently. So I'm just going to read a little bit of a thread he posted uh, on the 28th. And uh, I'm paraphrasing, but they're not willing to pay for it. This goes back to an argument I used to hear from advertisers when I ran the 11 slash plastic pitch. What is the point of advertising to people not willing to pay for something? There's no point in marketing anything to people who refuse to pay for stuff. Demographics goes on. 
Imagine being a shoe manufacturer and you're told that there's a chance to market $200 shoes, except that the audience has a tendency to say, I'd watch this event even if I didn't have to pay for it. And then your marketing firm looks further and notices, wow, this group shares a lot of pirate streams online. And then you recognize that they celebrate not playing for stuff. Sponsorship is about selling stuff to the audience. Economics 101 takes over. What even better is that said people in the Kansas community will actually tweet and ask the broadcasters who try to make their living in the business why the game isn't free. It's basically telling people to their faces that they don't deserve a job. And I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. Yeah, uh, that's some great points there by Steve. Um, the one thing I just really wanted to emphasize is the blame should not be on one soccer. I know a lot of people are like, oh, one soccer, why are we having to pay for you? Guess one soccer is the one that's picking everybody else up. One mm -hmm. soccer is the one who stepped in when nobody else would. So if you want to point your, your anger, your frustration, whatever it is, your disappointment towards people, it should be the major media companies like TSN Sportsnet because whatever, two, three years ago when, when all of this went down and all these broadcasts, broadcast rights still went down and media pro stepped in for one soccer tsn and sportsnet had the opportunity to see what was in front of them to see what was on the horizon in terms of the growth of canada soccer in this country and you know what they did they decided not to step up to the plate at that time and therefore one soccer swooped in and they've been providing some excellent excellent pre-game coverage excellent post-game coverage excellent even during the broadcast um I honestly think that their pregame coverage has been better than Toronto FC's pregame coverage for TSN. So if you're complaining about compl like paying a few bucks for content, I mean, these are the guys you should be supporting, you know, cut down your, 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 your cable TV subscriptions. If that's the case, it's like one Starbucks a... coffee. Yeah. Well, exactly. that's the other thing. I mean, I mean this, this, this supposition that it's free on TSN or Sportsnet. It isn't, you're paying for cable. Like, just because you've been doing it for decades and it's like the gym membership, you know, well now one soccer is kind of the gym membership. So, you know, it, it adapt or die, honestly, like if it was $400,000 a second, then I would understand the reluctance to pay for it, but we're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, billions upon billions of dollars. So I, I, I think that, uh, the argument is, is, is a little, a little nuts. That's just me. Yeah, I think that's where a lot of people's frustrations stem from. It's it's the few extra bucks, but you have to peel or I guess pull back the curtain and realize that as well done saying, yeah, we need to thank our lucky stars that one soccer even exists right now. Because if it wasn't for one soccer, where would these games be playing? Mm -hmm. Would it be that that single camera from from Canada soccer again? Because like I, I get it, like the one soccer broadcast isn't perfect. But it's a miles ahead of what we used to have to go through and used to watch for some of these games. So again, I think we need to thank One Soccer for what they're doing, what they continue to do, and I, I think April said we might have to revisit this conversation. <laughs> see play club. Oh now. no! It's like, asking, I think I'm going to turn off yeah. Twitter that day. But uh, <laughs> people are yeah, asking where yeah. the heck is this game right now? But hey, <laughs> like like Mitch said, it's a few bucks, and it's a few bucks going towards people who are who are like us. We're, they're trying to grow the game in this country. They're doing everything they can, not only on One Saga's platform when they're on there, but everything in between that they do to help grow the game in this country to help I mean, you know one day get this game on television and hey one day one soccer might even become a television network if they get enough of us supporting them so it comes down to us supporting the beautiful game in our country and again it's just a few bucks if you can i understand there that you know it's a, it's another 
expense on top of many expenses. But if there's some logo to buy, I'd, I'd say, you know, support one soccer. I just, I find the question so infuriating. It's like, where can I watch this game? We all know where you can watch the game. Yeah. You, you just don't want to pay to watch the game. So ask the right question. It's not, where is the game? Like it's some, it's some eternal mystery. That question, there's an answer to that question and you know the answer to that question. So at least, at least be honest. And, and then when saying, why can't I get it for free? Well, that's a fa that's flawed logic because it's not free on Sportsnet and TSN. So, you know, again, it, it, where, where does the question, you know, how far does the rabbit hole go? Uh -huh. Is there an answer that satisfies? And if there isn't, you know, why are we just, you know, sitting around yelling at each other? And that's, uh, and that's, you know, I think that's where we're coming a little bit, but like Man. I said, yeah, with, and with all that being said, yes, we want the games on TV. Like, it's it's a tragedy that Alfonso Davies, who is a global icon worth millions, worth more than any, probably any athlete in North America, we're not providing him coverage on, on TV, let alone the hundreds, dozens, hundreds, even if you call it, kids that are coming through that are going to be sort of similar to that level. We, we can talk about Theo Corbineau and what he's doing with Wolverhampton. Like we need to get eyes on the on this Canada soccer mm -hmm. team. Casual viewers who are, you know, scrolling through their television, they see Canada soccer on. Hey, you know, people are talking about this. Let me see what this is all about. And then you see them defeat a team eleven nothing. Like, okay, this hype is real. Let let's get excited. How are they going to do their next World Cup match? You know, mm -hmm. the casual we're going to be missing out on. But with that being said, all of us diehards here who do support, you know, the game, let's support one soccer again. Yeah, look at yeah. this recency bias. Ryan here is saying, and when they have humor on, you get the kind of spicy language you'd never hear on TSN. That's worth a few bucks on its own. <laughs> I'll see, I'll see your Hume, and I'll raise you Alejandro Pozuelo on the field with the <laughs> Jack for spicy language. Uh, That's fair. Uh, yeah, I'm. Yeah, what did Will Dunn say? He said, once we get to the point where people are cheering for Canada in the World Cup versus other countries, oh my God, or their ancestors are originally from. This will be the state of coverage of our national team. Right now, the ratings just aren't there. Well, I mean, it's a chicken or egg situation, right? Like the ratings will never be there if there's a metric that, you know, TSN or Sportsnet needs to achieve in order to, to buy in right now because of the way that, that it works. So, you know, it, it, everything's being disrupted. Uber's destroyed taxi cabs, Airbnb's destroyed hotels. There's disruptions all across media and, and finance and business and games stocks or what you know stonks or whatever so you know we're just we're just living through a sea change in, in in almost all aspects of how we conduct ourselves so the the goalposts have to change um the content is there it's behind a paywall but uh you know how long are we going to rage against against that and before we just realize that that's the world we live in right now and and, and adapt or die yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, it's also some kind of recency bias as well because let's not forget, like like Gavin mentioned, like the single camera feed was actually a massive improvement over what when I started watching the Canadian men's national team. You were only going to get to watch Canada if they're playing in a Gold Cup or a like later round World Cup qualifiers. Otherwise, you had to hope that the local broadcaster in like San Lucia or whatever would be picking it up. I remember listening to radio feeds of games. Like mm. it used to be a whole ordeal to even like find a feed. Now it's super easy. You know where it's going to be. You know, they're going to have a dedicated show built around these games. Uh, to me, that's what grows the game is, mm -hmm. you know, having those conversations and having, and, and, you know, giving these games what they deserve in terms of treatment versus, 
very well potentially played. just having a game simulcast on you know tsn or sportsnet and obviously eventually we want to get to a point where it's that dedicated feed on tsn or sportsnet but you know right now i think we're in a we're in not a bad position i think that you know all this hand wringing and such is you know it, it just doesn't make sense to me considering where canada soccer's come from in, in their recent past and and obviously we we know where they're going we hope they get there but at the moment i think they're in a good spot Mm-hmm. I, and I, I also don't buy that the, the ratings just aren't there for TSN or Sportsnet to provide live coverage. Um, if you see some of the stuff that TSN Sportsnet show on, like you're telling me Canada soccer is not going to have more views than that. Also, TSN Sportsnet have like four or five channels. I mean, I'm sure they can, you know, squeeze out one channel to provide coverage for this game. I think perhaps at the time when they made the media deal, it was short-sighted and they didn't see what was ahead of them. And, you know, at the time, it might have not have been the greatest time for ratings. But if you, I think TSN Sportsnet are sort of kicking themselves right now that they oh, don't have sure. some of these games. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we're, we're in it, so it's a little bit biased of us. But I still think that people are super interested to see what's going on with Alfonso Davies playing on the Canadian national team. This is a, mm-hmm. a global icon. How can this guy perform now when he comes back home and, and plays for, for Canada? It's a, it's a measuring stick for a lot of people who even the casual viewer who who you know hear a lot about alfonso davies but don't get to see him yeah it's it's for me it, it seems like again this is a, a play that worked out for ts center sports that long term i think one soccer swooped in and you know they're they're reaping the rewards right now the benefits and, and hey fair play to them yeah fair play to them absolutely absolutely and i think tsn has the next two even world cup rights as well so there could be a point here where we see some of those one soccer simulcasts just because they want to build up, you know, some momentum for those properties. So uh, don't be surprised if, if something like that happens, especially as we said, if Canada can go deep and, and get to that octagonal and, you know, be playing the United States and, and Mexico in, in big, important games, obviously that's what we're all hoping for. That's what we're all moving towards. So uh, mm-hmm. hopefully we can, we can get there at, at some point soon, but, um, let's move on to a, a little bit to talk about Olympic qualifying. I, I don't think there's too much more to touch on here, but I wanted to at least acknowledge it. And, you know, Canada not qualifying for the Olympics, um, certainly a, a missed opportunity. I mean, we we talked with Gavin at length about some of the things they went through and and how, you know, Canada's always at a bit of a disadvantage in these tournaments. But, you know, even, even conversations with casual soccer fans, you know, uh, there's not that understanding at least in Canada of the difference between the Olympics and the world cup or like how much more important the world cup is than Olympic qualifying. Right. So mm-hmm. when, when fans see Canada misses out like casual fancy Canada misses out on that Olympic qualifying, there's, there's a level of, you know, just again, you know, again, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like, like the, everyone's been hearing through the grapevine that, you know, Canada soccer is moving up and trending upwards and then they miss out on another tournament that seems to, to the casual fan, very important. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't, uh, you know, it just doesn't look great. I think some good individual performances would be my take, but I think as a team, they never really came together. And Jeff, you mentioned it, the uh, attacking side of things uh, got pretty disappointing towards the end, I think. Yeah, every, everyone wanted to be a superstar. And uh, mm-hmm. for, I mean, what was the what was the play that, we're, that we were all talking about endlessly? The one where uh, Diaz was waiting for a ball back and then just like lost it because what was it? He like fed a through ball to, I don't remember the play, but I do. Remember it was, the, yeah, it was Brim. Yeah. Brim tried to take on four uh, guys it was Brim. instead yeah, of yeah, just yeah. squaring it back to Diaz. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Diaz had beat like three players. So 
Yeah, yeah. And too I think that's, that. yeah, too much of that. That That's that's very much a microcosm of, of what I found wrong. I thought they were great the first game out. Um, but I don't, I, I, I take a lot more positive out of that than negative. We were, we were able to hang with Mexico uh, for a decent part of that game. Uh, regardless of our faults, and and that's the positive that I take out of that. I was expecting an eleven nil the other way around. So, you know, the fact that that it was close, and and the fact that we didn't embarrass ourselves out there, because if you look at the 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 quality gap, if you look at the budgetary gap, uh, I don't remember the the figures, but they were throwing out some numbers on one soccer in the pregame show that made all the hairs on the back of my neck stand out. Like just the amount of professional minutes on the, on the Mexican under 23s versus the amount of professional minutes in total on the, on the Canadian U 23s was, was a staggering amount of difference. So, you know, and the levels those come at too. Yeah. 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 Yeah, That's a, that's a probably a realistic take, but for me, Mm. man, I, I I see there's no reason why Canada cannot qualify in that tournament. I Mm. think that, if they could have beat Honduras, I mean, could they have put out a stronger squad, like bring in a stronger squad potentially? Um, but as, as you guys said, like this is a, a hit towards the casual fan who see Canada not make the Olympics. And like, like we said, like, oh no, not this again. And I think even Tim McAuliffe had a good tweet where it's like, it seems inevitable that Canada will, will you know, hype us up and then disappoint us in the end. I mean, that's sort of the narrative that's coming away from this tournament. And Yes, Mexico is the better side than us. Um, I just wonder, you know, how much how much were we missing some of those TFC guys, and how much of a difference could they have made had, should they have been in the tournament? Um, mm-hmm. And if we look back to that Honduras match where they drew one one, could they have beat that Honduras team? I think if Canada's taken this tournament a little bit more seriously, if they have a little bit more in that squad, I think they they beat Honduras as U twenty three team for sure, um, okay. and. That Mexico, like that Mexico game, fair play to Mexico. It, even if Canada had some of the TFC guys had some better players, like it was still would have been a tight game. But it would have give, given Canada a better shot at, at advancing through this tournament. It's, it just feels like it's a tournament they didn't take as as seriously as you know I, I personally wanted them to, um, because it is sort of baby steps here in, in Canada mm. soccer. We haven't qualified for the Olympics in 37 years. Let's take that first step. Let's get that huge milestone because that would that would draw so much more interest, so many more viewers. And again, it, we have to wait four years for for that to happen. Alfonso Davies mm. will be what, like twenty four when that happens, for example. Like they're 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 players who are missing um, that opportunity to to come in and, and Fair be point. stars for for this U twenty three team. So mm. for me, the bar has to be held higher by the CSA. Um, mm. I expect more out of Canada soccer moving forward, and that's just that's just the, the standard that I, I really believe in in this team and the, the players in this country. Because when I when you talk to them, there there's a real belief that they could do better. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's maybe the prevailing thought coming out of this uh, coming out of this uh, international window in general for Canada is that you know there was definitely a lot of positives, but they still haven't proven anything. And I think until they really prove that they can compete with the best in, in this region, then, you know, sure. It's maybe better than it was, but it's still not where, you know, it needs to be for them to, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to be where we believe that this talent can take them. So um, certainly, yeah, certainly a good point there. I think. Let's let's move on. Let's talk some Mm -hmm. quickly. I know it's a longer show, but let's, let's get some TFC in here because we know TFC talk. 
from yep. KFC diehard in here, and we appreciate. Ooh, we don't want to get any copyright problems there, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I guess the first bit of TFC news that that broke this week was Borat, and it looks like he'll be heading down to Brazil. Um, wah, so wah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what did you guys make of that sort of news, and how do you feel about it? I'm fine. Whoa, I don't know if we've ever guy. talked more about a player who's never who didn't end up playing for Toronto FC than we did about Bore. I think just the the way this offseason went, and the fact that there was such a shortage of rumors, other than this one, which kept cropping up. Like, yeah, Juan I mean, Agudelo. Maybe, maybe <laughs> That's Juan the thing. Agudelo. That's the thing. Yeah. That's a good point, Mitch. Like, TSA, or TFC's front office has been on record saying that they're not going to comment on the rumors or anything like that. So, yes, Bore was the, the only name. I think we had Alex come out of here, and he's like, why is, why is Bore the only name that TFC's targeting? Guys, Bore is not the only name TFC's targeting. It's just the only one that's sort of leaked down that, that we're talking about. TFC, they're, they're doing their homework. And that they have, I'm sure, as you know, we've heard in the past, they've come up with lists of like 30 players who who are on their list of, of potential targets. Like TFC has an extensive list of players that are doing their homework. And Bill Manning said when he was on our show last week, they're going to take their time with this. Mm-hmm. They have, you know, they have towards the end of end of the summer there, or end of the spring almost uh, towards June for that first transfer window since it just got extended. So they have more time, and they also believe in their squad to get them mm-hmm. there. So there's no need for them to rush anything. I think they're going to see how some of their young guns play out, how some of their, their forwards play out. How is Josie going to bounce back next season? How's Michael Bradley going to look playing higher up the field? A lot of these question marks with the squad, with the new coach. So let's let's give TSC a little bit of a sample size, and then from there they can better address their needs. What exactly is it do they need? Do they need that Nico Ladero who can provide the final pass for some of their strikers? Do they need someone who will get on the end of the ball? You know, there, there's different types of, of areas where TFC can address, um, but let's let's just wait so we get a sample size. I agree. I'm not worried. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Yvonne brought up an interesting point that kind of relates to Tron FC and. Um... Sorry, did I cut out there? Yeah, a little no, bit. Good. Don't worry about it. Yeah, you're good. Okay. Yeah, no. Yvonne brought up an interesting point that relates to both Tron FC and the Olympics, which is that neither Canada nor the United States qualified and. We'd heard in the past that that might have been one of the contingencies upon which Io Akinola was making his international decision. Ah. If one of these countries goes to the Olympics, then he'd probably be favored to play for them because the opportunity that would give him. So that's at least something to watch in, in the next little bit. The other thing, of course, is the reemergence of Kyle Lahren and what that means for Canada's striking depth chart. But um, it's at least something to watch and, and a good point by Yvonne that, you know, Maybe this is maybe this is something that favors Canada in the sense that, well, it wouldn't it would have it wouldn't have favored Canada if they made the Olympics. That obviously would have been a huge boost. But the, neither country going at least, you know, might give Canada a little more than an edge if than if the U.S. had gone. Fair yeah. point. I Always mean, yeah. look on the bright side of life. I like it. I like exactly. it. Exactly. Since both teams yeah. made it, I don't think it, it really you know moves anything pushes the envelope anywhere unless you watch some of those Canada games. And he's like this team really needs some help up top. Maybe I can be that guy. Um, that's really some of the only things I can think of. But again, both teams weren't playing their strongest squad, both the U.S. Mm-hmm. and Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure how much weight you can really put into that decision. True but, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's, uh, let's chat before we wrap up. Let's chat quickly about TFC and their start to preseason. 
um, TFC, they got underway March 27th. So that was just a, three days ago. I think it was Saturday where they played their first preseason match. Um, they took on Fort Lauderdale. FC, which of course, or CF, which of course is Inter Miami's USL team, and some some good news, you know, TFC won three nothing, uh, goal scored by Alejandro Pozuelo, Patrick Mullins, and of course Michael Bradley, which is something that we have talked about on this show a couple of times, and that's that Michael Bradley will be playing a little bit higher up on the field this season. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, first test out of the way, we see a Michael Bradley goal, which is something we didn't see at all last season. And even But we did see that, it in 2019. Golden boot leader, Michael Bradley. We did one. see it in the past. Yep. So, you know, yep. Michael Bradley did have a, a little bit of a down year last year, especially coming off injury. Um, so, you know, this, this refreshed preseason, a new role. Could we see a new Michael Bradley in 2021? Sure. Bring it on. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably the, the most interesting thing going to this preseason. And, you know, the, the Club Leon Champions League game is that midfield and what Toronto FC is going to do with it. Because I think that's going to be for so early returns. Obviously, we don't uh, able to, um, look like they're going to be a positive. Of course, Toronto, Columbus, April 1st. So, well, we get to see that game as well. That'll be interesting. <laughs> so, uh, Mitch's Mitch's Wi-Fi cut out a little bit on him. Let him down. Yeah, yeah. But what he was saying was was TFC. Uh, their next, I guess, preseason game is April the first, which I believe would be on Thursday. Um, mm-hmm. So they're taking on the Columbus Crew in that game, and that'll be their Ooh. their first real preseason kind of test. Um, before Club Leon, I think it's actually their last preseason game before they head to Club Leon. I could be mistaken mm. on that, but whether or not that game's televised, um, that still needs to be determined. It's not Toronto FC's fault. It's not Eric G's fault, by the way. This is MLS <laughs> protocol and and COVID <laughs> protocol with everything. How how difficult? Right. It is. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, there, there's a chance that that game might be tele- might be streamed or might be live tweeted at least. Um, hopefully it is, but if not, guys, don't don't blame TFC or their their content team for blame one soccer. It's out of their their hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. go after one soccer. For all that. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, got to bring it back. Yeah. It's called runner. Yeah, indeed. I if 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 my Wi-Fi is good enough here, I I wonder if you know this game even does get broadcast from the sense I've mentioned it before. You know. Do does Toronto FC want tape out there before the Club Leon game? Um, and I don't think they do. So I wonder if we nope. don't see this game at all, just from that sense. It's a very good point, Mitch. We're not gonna yeah. see one. Everybody, everybody <laughs> get ready for zero streams. We want to surprise Club <laughs> Leon. I think it's worth uh trying to see through foggy fog on a on an iPhone lens to to ha- to have total <laughs> that advantage. So so yeah, yeah. I'll find something and else to do that day. For those for those who did stick it out here till the end, um, I have a great uh, Ralph Brisa quote. I got a chance to speak to him last week. And this quote is, uh, I asked him about Chris Armas versus Greg Vanny. What sort of the biggest difference we'll see out of these two coaches. And I, I love it. So this is what Ralph Brisa said. His answer was speed, energy. I think the way we played with Greg was more methodical, more patient, 
kind of wait, maybe move move the ball a little bit more to kind of move the opponent versus now we're up in the ante. We're going quicker. And then if we do make a mistake, we're there to win the ball back, and then we go again. I think that's the biggest difference. Sweet. So Sweet. That lines up <laughs> with what Chris Armis has been saying. That lines up with what everybody else has been saying. And that's that TFC is going to be playing on the front foot this season. We saw what Mexico did to Canada's U23 team, where every time they lost the ball, whether that was a striker, whether that was you know their number 10, everybody was pressing the second they lost the ball. They didn't give Canada's U23 team any space because Canada's U23 team didn't deserve it. They did. They showed mm. that they couldn't play out of a press. They showed that they couldn't play under pressure. And with most MLS sides, I think that's a similar case. I don't think they're they're the quality yet where, you know, I think prove it to us and then we'll give you yeah. a little bit more respect. Because but this this league, we've seen it. The press is so effective. It it's so effective. And when you're there to capitalize on mistakes, I think that's where you can make your your real money, especially with the type of players that TFC have and North American teams in general have. They're all you know, fast paced, kind of get in your face, physical, and you combine that with with the talent that TFC has, it could be could be a dangerous recipe for success. Do a lot of damage. I like it. Sounds cool. great. Let's go. Yeah, I think that would be a good place to wrap up the show. Um, Mitch, if you want to try and chime in here and sign us off, that'd be great. <laughs> yeah, I'll see. We'll see how my Wi-Fi holds up. But uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. Of course, that. Uh, not holding up. Like that, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. he brings. I think I'll I'll, I'll, I'm, I'll I'm sign us off, Mitch. I'm right. tagging. I'm tagging my. <laughs> All right, thanks. All yeah. Right. Um, yeah. So again, thank you everyone for for tuning in once again. We do have some hopefully some exciting news on the horizon, um, and we're looking forward to to the rest of the season. Hey, next week we'll have a big Club Leon preview show because we're going right the day before. Um, hopefully we can bring on a good guest for that but in the meantime thank you to, to Sophia thank you to, to Kevin thank you to Edwin who does some great writing for us um, and yeah I guess until next time we'll see you guys next week cheers cheers